I love the book of Galatians. We're back in Galatians. Again, we've been in the book of Acts. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we got to where Paul was on his first missionary journey. And he went around to the area of Galatia, which is a modern-day Turkey, preached the gospel to a bunch of uh, idol-worshiping heathens and also Jews. And what do you know? They came to the Lord, just like I did, just like many of you have. Praise God. Amen? Well, they're hanging out with the Lord. They're growing in the Lord. Paul leaves, goes back to Antioch, and then all of a sudden he hears news that they've abandoned the gospel that they first believed. And so some false teachers had come in and started teaching that in order for them to be saved, and I know we've gone over this before, that they had to not only believe in Christ, that's great, the Messiah, but they also had to be circumcised. They had to go back under the Mosaic law. They had to obey the Ten Commandments and all these types of things. And Paul is just spending four chapters having at them. And he's contending for their faith. He's laying it all on the table. He calls them fools twice. Um, he is just provoking so much out of him. He's like a spiritual father who's raised these spiritual children up, taken care of them, encouraged them in the Lord, and they went off to college, and some professor told them some weird thing, and they came back all messed up in the head. I just wanted to say hello to all of you coming back from college this morning. <laughs> <laughs> just playing with you. But that's kind of what, what he's saying. Is I laid a foundation, and, and you, you left it. What's going on? Why, why did that happen? And these people came in with a Jewish background, and were just saying, yeah, that's great. You believe in the Lord, but Jesus and. Jesus and here's a bunch, a list of rules to where you can be saved. It's not just faith in Jesus. That's great that you believe in Jesus. But now, in order for you to really be saved, now you've got to go back under the Old Covenant. Now you must obey the Ten Commandments. Now you must keep the Sabbath. Now you must go to all the festivals. Now you must do all these other things. And Paul is saying that if the law could bring about righteousness, there would have been a law that made righteousness. He said there is no law. And so he teaches them what the purpose of the law is. And he does that in chapters 3 and chapter 4. And the law, he said, came about because of sin. There was originally a promise to Abraham. The promise was that through him all the nations would be blessed. The gospel was hidden there. And that through his seed all the nations would be blessed. That seed is singular, Paul talks about, meaning not just all your offspring. It's not through the physical lineage of, of Abraham. It's through Jesus Christ who would come through his uh, lineage that through him all the nations would be blessed. How would they be blessed? The forgiveness of sins. We all need it. Hooray, amen? Yes, through Jesus. That is how all nations are blessed, is through faith in Christ. And so Paul teaches them that when Jesus came about, when he finally came in the fullness of time, the law had served its purpose. It came about, God, well, the question was, well, hey, if, if we're just saved simply by faith in Christ, believing in the promise, the promise that God takes away sins, the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. If we're saved, saved by faith, by believing upon it, then what in the world is the purpose of the law? 
Good question. It says in there that it's because of transgressions. To restrain and to reveal, those two things. To restrain the nation of Israel from going absolutely berserk and kind of funneling them. And also to reveal that they were sinners by nature in anticipation for the Savior to come. And we talked about the, like, the different images of a tiger in a cage. Why is the tiger behind a cage? Because it's nature is dangerous. And so the law is like the cage that shows us that it is dangerous. The law does not change human beings. It restrains and it reveals. When I'm driving down the highway and I'm breaking the law in Walla Walla, which never happens, what happens? I see a policeman, what do I do? <sighs> Slow down. <sighs> My face is against the windshield, right? The law reveals that I am a lawbreaker. does not make me any more innocent or guilty. I mean, it actually it shows that I am guilty is what it does. And so Paul's saying, you don't have an understanding, a correct understanding of the law. The law is to show us that we're all sinners. It's not a standard you can keep to where God, at the end of your life, will, will weigh out a balance and you go, oh, great. I've done more good things than bad. No, the Bible says that you've messed up with one. You've messed up in all the areas of law. You're guilty. You're a lawbreaker. And the penalty for that is death, separation from God. And that is the purpose of the law to put all of mankind guilty before a holy God. And it's for our benefit that God put the law there so that we would actually know we are sinners. For without the law, we do not even know we are sinners. God, in his grace, showed us we are what we are. So... There, and, and so now Paul's going, okay, great. The purpose of the law is to show you a sinner, and it's to lead you to Christ. And so he's trying to use these images, these pictures of, 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 of swaying this group away from going back under the law. If the law's purpose was to bring you to the Christ, and you came to Christ in faith, it served its purpose, it's done, why are you going back under it? And he uses, in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, it says, what I'm trying to say this, is this. <clears throat> that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he says, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were underage, when we were immature, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces. That, is, that word in Greek is the ABCs, uh, the elementary, elementary things of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonships. And so he's saying the purpose of the law is a guardian, and it's to grow you up to point you to faith in Christ. When you have faith in Christ, you're now a son. His spirit, the spirit of Christ now comes into your heart. Now you cry out, Abba, Father. You no longer have a legal relationship with God. You now have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Hooray. Yes. Training them young. Good job, Gabe. All the amens there. So he says, so you're no longer a slave, but a child. And he's saying, why on earth, after having graduated from the ABCs, and now you're an MIT graduate, are you going to enroll in kindergarten again? What are you doing? It has nothing for you. you it, it's elementary. The whole purpose of it was to get you to look at Christ. What are you doing? We have things to learn from you, so to speak. 
And so Paul is he's contending with them. And, he's, and he, in verse 8, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were bare nature did, were not gods. And he's speaking to the pagan group there. Hey, just like the Jews were under the law back then, under, under rules, and they related to God through a works system, a works system, if I do this, then God will, as opposed to what God has done, therefore I am a grace system. He says, just like the Jews, we were, we were under the law and it brought us to maturity, hopefully in Christ, to faith in Christ. Now, guess what? Like you guys are pagans and remember how you used to worship your old gods? You had festivals, you had seasons, you had all these things you did, sacrifices. And then I came and I preached the gospel to you and what happened to you? You abandoned all that stuff and you received grace. And he goes, that's awesome. Why are you going back to it? Why are you now again keeping seasons and dates and times? Why are you, why are you, why are you under Sabbath law again? Why are you, and he's saying, if you just keep one of those laws, guess what? You've got to keep all of them. And we'll talk about that in a minute. What are you doing going back under the law? It's the same thing, even though it's God's law. It's grace. You've fallen away from Christ. And he goes, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my time. And he goes, I plead with you, my brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. I am the Jew. I am the one with all that background. And when I came to you, did I bring the law? Did I bring all the rituals? Did I make you become circumcised? Did I make you go to church on Saturday or Sunday or all this type of stuff? Did I do any of that? No, I didn't. I preached Christ crucified to you. So come back. Become like me, for I became like you is what he said. Remember how I was? You've gone off the cliff. What are you doing? You now have a legal relationship with God instead of a grace relationship, a sonship, a daughtership relationship with God. And and he talks about that, that and he, and he, in verse 13, chapter 4, is, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel among you. And he starts talking to them and, and trying to draw them back and saying, remember when I came to you? Remember how precious it was? Remember how you, um, how you I was sick and my eyes were, were hurting and you would have given me your own eyes. There was just this love and this relationship. He says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul had great loss in telling the truth of the gospel to people. He had broken relationships. He had people who hated him because of it. Any of you experienced that lately? Trying to share the Lord with someone? Any of you worried about that? Have I now become your enemy? He's crying out to him. He still contends with him. Why? Because he's not focused on the here and now. He's focused on the end game. The very end. Their souls. What's going to happen to them? Where are they going? That was his heartbeat for them. And so he was willing to be despised and rejected and persecuted and all those things because of love because of love. Now, in our culture, love says, let, let them be. Let them just continue on in their misery. 
That's not the love I see of Jesus who penetrated the darkness we talked about in John chapter 1 with his truth and with his grace. And we're his church. And so we too will experience these things as we walk in the Spirit. Not always, but we will. Sharing the truth in darkness, in hard times, the people who don't want to hear it, hard family members, people who were once walking with the Lord and are not anymore. We're called to it. If we're living for this kingdom, for this earth, for this Jerusalem, as we'll read about, what's going to happen? That's going to be a whole lot harder. But if we're living in eternal perspective, we're living in kingly perspective, if we're living for the, the king, the reward, the glory, the day when we sit before him, boy, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. And so he's, he's contending with them. He's pleading with them. He says, those people are zealous, verse 17, <clears throat> uh, to win you over, but, but for no good. They want you to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. And that is what the legalist wants to do. They want you to draw attention to a person and not to God. God's ministers want to draw your attention to the Lord. When we counsel you, when you're in sin, let's say, uh, when I'm in sin, it's always, hey, come back to the Lord. Put your eyes back on Jesus. Look at him, the author and finisher of your faith. Come on back to the Lord. It's not about, hey, follow me. You know, hey, what are you doing? You're, you know, it's about the Lord. These people wanted to alienate people from Paul because they wanted him to be zealous for them. Look at how I'm leading. Look at how I do things. And that was the heart, the motivation behind these teachers was the praise of men. And Paul's pointing that out. How I wish I could be with you, verse 20, so I could change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. And so now he's going to continue and he's going to give one more analogy, a picture, a, a figurative picture here. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law. And he's speaking not only to, uh, not only to the Galatians who kind of converted back over to Judaism, a, a, a hybrid of Judaism there. And he's also talking to the teachers there. He says, you want to be under the law. Are you not aware of what the law says? And so he's quoting from the law, meaning the first five books of Moses. The first five books of the Bible, that's how they're arranged in our Bibles. Uh, for it says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. How many of you remember our story back in Genesis chapter 15, 16, 17, somewhere around there? Abraham's, he's called out from, a, uh, from Iraq, and he comes to, on a long journey, he says, I'm going I'm to bless you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And so Abraham walks out on this journey, it's a, obviously long time. He has his wife, Sarah. And then remember, there was a famine. He went down to Egypt. He lied that his wife was his sister, even though it was a half-truth, so to speak. Old Testament, everyone. You can go back there. But the king found out eventually, didn't kill him, and in, ended up saying, get out of here, and gave him a bunch of stuff. It gave him donkeys and servants and all this stuff. And so he came out of Egypt with these, with these servants. And one of them was a lady named Hagar, who became Sarah, Abraham's wife's servant. And so he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, Hagar, and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. If you remember, God had promised to Abraham, you're going to have a kid, and here Abraham is later on. He's like 90 years old. His wife is 80, and it just ain't happening. Sarah's feeling the cultural pressure. 
She knows the promises of God, but she goes ahead and tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to have a kid one way or the other. Take Hagar, my servant, make her your wife. Go ahead and have a kid with her, and then that kid will be mine, a surrogate kid. And so she does. And what is Abraham has a child with Hagar, and Hagar's son is Ishmael, right? Ishmael. And so that's the story there. Eventually, God, 13 years later, spoke to uh, Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, yeah, I'm right here. And he was talking to him and said, hey, remember my, my promise, my blessing, that through you all the nations will be blessed? That's still happening. He says, your, your, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. And what happens? What does Abraham say? Ha, ha, ha. How awesome. You know how old we are, God? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that my product of my doing might live before you, not the product of the promise. Accept my flesh. Accept the work that I have done and not the work that you have promised. And so Paul's going back on this imagery and he's going to draw these lines together. You see what he's doing? He's going back to their own history and he's going, now this is all figurative, he says. But, but see, the, see the analogy here. And so here he is, this master teacher. He says, these things are being taken figuratively. figuratively. The woman represents, these women uh, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears the children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, Mount Sinai. Where is that? It's in Arabia. Remember, uh, well, now we can't say Charlton Heston. Who's the new guy? went up to the mountain. <laughs> yeah, Christian Bale went up to the mountain. Got to modernize my message here. And he received the Ten Commandments, right, from Mount Sinai. And so they're equating these, these things. He's saying uh, one covenant is from Mount Sinai. So speaking of the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, all the Ten Commandments, and the 613 commandments after that, right? So, so one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears the children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. In verse 25, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. He's saying this covenant, the Mosaic covenant, gives birth to bondage. The law makes us slaves. It it, it's, it shows us that we can't keep the law, right? That we don't do it. We keep trying to. It's a works system. It's a surrogate mother. And Jerusalem is the capital, the physical capital of all those people who are in slavery. You're looking at a mountain. You're looking at a, a system. You're looking at a city that is all slavery. It's all spiritual slavery bondage is what he's, he's drawing out. What a slap in the face. If you're a Jew, what are you talking about? Jerusalem's like where we worship. It's where our temple is and all these things. It's all slavery. And he goes on. He says, verse 25 says, Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds to Jerusalem uh, because she's in slavery with children. But the Jerusalem that is above, what? There's a Jerusalem above? What in the world is he talking about? But there's a Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. 
For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 54.1, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud for you, will never be in la- for you who will never be in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than that of her who has had a husband. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about two cities, Jerusalem here, physical. People are descendants of Abraham, and then he's talking about different descendants, descendants of promise, descendants of promise, a spiritual Jerusalem up in heaven. He's talking about spiritual rebirth. He's talking about how in the world can she not have a mother and have kids? In other words, the idea is that we're not born of this world. We're born of God. We're born from heaven. We're born again. And that's the point he's, he's, he's laying there. If you go uh, in John chapter, oh, actually, is this, hold on. Let's do, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Flip right to Hebrews. <clears throat> Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Chapter 12. Verse 18. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Remember when God was speaking from Mount uh, Sinai to the people below it? And it was on fire, and words were spoken, and everybody was just freaking out. There was this great fear. This is because they could not bear what was commanded. Wow. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The law. He goes, verse 21, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all the earth, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkle of blood that speaks better word than that, the blood of Abel. I don't even want to get into that part right now. We'll get there when we get into Hebrews. But you've come to a spiritual city. Abraham... What does it say of him in chapter 11? Flip back left to chapter 11 about Abraham. One second here. Yeah, verse 8, I think somewhere in there. <clears throat> it says, By faith Abraham, when he had called to go to a place when he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architecture, his architect and builder is God. He wasn't looking to a physical city. He was looking to the spiritual city, the promise, by faith. 
crazy story. John chapter 4. Flip left, John chapter 4. Verse 21. <clears throat> Women at the well, five husbands, right? Jesus tells her everything. You're going to have a drink of water. You're going to thirst again. And then she goes, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Two different places of worship, right? She's arguing geography, right? What does Jesus argue? Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What in the world is he talking about? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of the worshipers the Father is seeking. And Paul is sitting here in Galatians chapter 4, and he's saying, you're either in slavery or you are free. You're either bound up in this physical world, in these physical elementary ABC things, which are shadows of the reality of Christ. The Sabbath is a shadow of the rest we have in Christ. The priests are a shadow of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The temple is a prescribed in such a specific way because it is an outline of a shadow of heaven. He's saying you're worshiping these physical things. We've been born again. You're no longer a part of this world. You now have the ability to worship in the kings of king, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How is it that we can be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus as if we're really there? I don't even want to get into quantum physics, but I mean, amazing things Paul is talking about. You're not of Hagar. You are not of this world. You are not of the law anymore. You have put your faith in Christ. You are born again. You are a new creation, Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. New kingdom. New kingdom. New way of working. It's no longer do not touch, do not hold, do not do this, and jump through these rules and ten commandments and all that stuff. It's no longer that those laws. No longer the ABCs. Now you are ruled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he's going to address that in chapter 5. Because a legalist is going to say, well, if there's no laws, then it's going to be lawless. Right? We're going to see what he does in chapter 5. I don't want to spill the beans. But he says, now you brothers and sisters, verse 28, like Isaac, you are children of promise. You're not of bondage. You're not of that slave culture. You're of the free culture. And at that time, the son, born according to the flesh, Ishmael, he persecuted the son, born by the power of the Spirit. Remember that ceremony where uh, Isaac was weaned, you know, two or three years old? And there's a big celebration, and then uh, Ishmael's like, you know, 13 to 15 years old, somewhere around there, and he starts mocking 
starts mocking Isaac. And so he's drawing these parallels, and he says, ah ha, you know, ha, 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 ha. He says, guess what? The flesh is always going to mock the spirit. The Jews, under that system, that system is always going to kick against the flesh. Jesus did the wineskin analogy. It's not, there. You, you cannot put the old system into the new wineskins. It will burst. It, they, they're incompatible. And he goes on. This is what the scripture says. He says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Paul's saying, kick them out of the church. Get rid of these false teachers. Get rid of these people with this legalistic mindset. Kick them out. They have no inheritance. Why would he say that? Can't we just all get along? We just have a different view on scripture. Not on this point, not when it comes to salvation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Get rid of these people. We're not slaves. Don't go back under slavery. And then chapter 5, which is so awesome. I'm just going to read the first eight verses. It is for freedom, for liberty, that Christ has set us free. God has set you free to be free. Free from the law, free from sin. Not free to sin, as we will talk about, right? <laughs> that's, not what the, that's not what the Spirit of Christ would have. He goes, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't go back under that. You have a choice. Don't do that. Mark my words, I, Paul, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In other words, having received grace, if you're doing that for a, to be right with God, you have, Christ, you've just totally lost Christ. You've now tried to obey the law for righteousness. He's saying here, Christ has no value, of all, value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You're obligated to obey the whole law. 613 glorious commandments. You can't pick and choose. You can't just say, I'm going to worship on Saturday, and then therefore I'm going to be right with God. You can't just say, I'm going to obey this law and not all the rest. You want to do it? You got to keep all of them. You got to keep all of them perfectly is what Paul is saying. And you won't do it because it's to show you you can't. And he goes on and says, verse 4, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That is the new covenant. Faith expressing itself in love. Jesus said, you want to obey my commandments? Here it is. I want you to love one another. Well, what does that look like? How did I love you? How did I love you? Okay. So, I'm walking down the street and I I, I'm looking at something, do a list of rules, start popping in my head. 
can if I have a legal relationship with the Lord. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, the Spirit's going to go, no, son. And I'm going to go, yes, Father. And I'm going to be watching a football game and some commercial comes on and I'm going to sit there and the Spirit will just go, hey, son, you know what? That's, you're kind of laughing at some jokes that aren't, you know. And, and you know what? You're right, Father. Let's go. All right. Or, hey, walking down the street, why don't you go talk to that person? No, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. It's not a legal relationship. It's a personal relationship with the Lord. Walking with Him. Hearing His voice. Learning to discern the promptings. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what it's about, church. Not a list of rules. Now, of course, we're in a church. And there are things that are, seem healthy, like the first church had to do. What do you do with church leadership? Who can be in leadership? Who can't be in leadership? Obviously, Paul had to lay out a lot of guidelines here. There are a lot of things in accordance to love, what would best build up the church. And he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in that context. It's all about building up. It's all about love. When do you discipline someone? When do you not discipline someone? When are they grieving the Spirit? When are they not? There's a lot of Spirit. There's a lot of praying, don't you think? There's a lot of seeking the Lord for the ambiguity that is there. And that's the kind of relationship the Lord wants to have with us. It's not just a check, I went to church. Yeah. Did I go to church and did I hear his word? Did I go to church to minister to that person left or right of me? Was I looking for opportunities for the Holy Spirit to use me? Or did I just go and go, check, see ya. Song sung. Check. I'm right with God because I went to church. It can be like that. It can be like that for me, for you. How many of you struggle with that? Anyone? Yeah, it's holy. And those of you who aren't raising your hands, I have, you're weird. <laughs> this is life by the Spirit is what he's longing for his church. He's not longing to say, raise your hands. Sing to me. Open your Bible. Wake up. Sunday morning. Blah, blah, blah. He's longing for the response. He's longing for the relationship. He's longing it to come from a place where his spirit is connecting, the spirit of a son, the spirit of the daughter is connecting with his father, and there's that sweet fellowship that Jesus had with his father. That same spirit is in us. How does that grow? How is that nurtured? How does that happen in the body of the church? That's what we got to head for. How do I grow in this? We're longing for it. We need it. It's just this deep, profound relationship with the Lord that is father-son-centered, father-daughter-centered. God, what do, you, what do you say about what I'm eating? I'm not under the law. I can eat whatever I want. But Lord, what do you say? This is your body. What do you say? What do you say about the music I'm listening to? What do you say about my neighbor? What do you say about the situation I'm frustrated with? What do you say about what I do for a living? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? 
interested to know. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Father. And he will. He will. And he does. He does it through his word. He does it through people. He does it through circumstances. He does it through the spirit. He does it through miracles. He does it through songs. And it's never going to contradict what he's already said in here. We are a people of the spirit. And I want to grow with you this year in that. I want to grow more and more. I want to move less less away from a legal relationship with my father and more and more in with a love relationship and a personal relationship with, with my father. And in, in case you're worried, well, that means Matt can do whatever he wants and go crazy. No, that's not what it means because Jesus is not going to go crazy. And you look in chapter 5, and I would encourage you to read ahead, and he talks about the flesh and the spirit. Because you want to know what the flesh looks like? You already pretty much know, and he gives you a big, big long list of the, what those things look like. I guarantee you those people who live like that, who are ruled by that, they don't have the Spirit of Christ in them. Who are dominated by those things. Who don't even have a, a heart to change. Aren't even crying out. I guarantee you they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, Paul says. But you know what? Tell me the law that's against love. Tell me the law that there is against joy and peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all those types of things. Is there a law? Do you think? There's none of that. And he goes on more of an exhaustive list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is. Right? So we've got a long, long way to grow. But life by the Spirit is, is something amazing. There's some powerful passages in Romans I'd, I'd have you check out as well about life by the Spirit. It will bring life into our church. It'll bring life into your relationship with the Lord. If you've been working on a rules-based relationship with God, come to grace. Come to grace. Receive Jesus. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is and what he has done. How many of you need that? How many of you mess up and just need grace? and forgiveness and mercy. I need that. And you know, our Father knows how to give us a good kick in the butt too. Does He not? He's a good Father. He knows how to get our attention. He knows how to discipline us. He knows how to do it through people, through the church and all that stuff. He knows how to work it. To draw out that son and that daughter who's close and tight with Him. And that's what I long for us this, 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 this year. So let's continue and let's finish up Galatians here in the next week or two and then we'll hop back to Acts and some other places. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for the liberty that we have. I pray that if in this room anyone who is raised with a background that says I am right with God because I have done A, B, C, or D, would know that that is not grace. But the truth is that I am right with God because of what He did alone is grace.
and I am a son, and I am a daughter because of grace. And I have an inheritance because of a promise, not because I earned it. I have eternal life because he promised it, and I believe it, not because I earned it. I have all the riches of heaven at my disposal, not because I have earned it, but because he has given it to me freely to use for his will and his glory and his purposes. That is the relationship we have with you, Father. And I pray that if anyone does not have that this morning, they would abandon the Hagar earthly model and we would take up our heavenly model the new Jerusalem, Lord. Father, do that work in the hearts of your people this morning. And I pray that we would go out and shine this light of this new life that we have in the name of Jesus and the power and the authority of Jesus. We pray, amen.